Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Sarah Santa Croce. Sarah is changing the current marketing paradigm. Referred to as the female Seth Godin, Sarah spent 12 years running a successful LinkedIn consulting business, which inspired a yearning in her to create a global movement that encourages people to bring more empathy and kindness to business and marketing. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. I'm delighted to have you here. Oh, I'm so excited for this conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Ursula. I am, I am so happy to be having this conversation with you because I can't tell you how many of my clients say the very thing that you talk about in your book, and I'm sure you deal with is, I hate marketing. So <laughs> what do you say to people when they, when they say that? Yeah, it took me a while to come up with a good answer. But I think now I really know that the reason that so many people hate marketing is because they're doing certain marketing activities that they see out there as being sold, that that is marketing. And unfortunately, it's more often than not, not aligned with their values. Yeah. And so that's why it doesn't feel good. It just feels icky. It feels like we're manipulating and it feels like we're tricking and cheating. And so that's why so many people hate it. Yeah. And, and I know you talk about um, stop conforming, which is music to my ears, but it's a bit scary to do that because people follow these formulas because they're not sure what to do and someone is giving them a kind of 10-step method. And I think people also feel, at least in my experience, feel a lack of clarity about their core messaging and that can come into play. So it's, it's you know, this, this kind of uh, formulaic approach really um, speaks to people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I, I can tell you that, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had the guts to, you know, do things differently either, mm -hmm. even though uh, maybe we go a bit into my upbringing later. But even though I, I kind of had this encouragement very early on to do dif things differently and, and always have in my personal life, but it just felt like in business, I was, you know, new at it. And like, you just had to do things a certain way. That's just how it was in business. And so mm -hmm. I'm totally feeling people's pain when they're like, but, you know, I thought that's how you do it. And that's kind of like what I follow. And uh, it's true that it's difficult to say, but I'm going to do it differently. And I think that's really also my reason for writing the book. It's giving people permission to say, it's okay to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you, you've already referred to this, but you have a really interesting upbringing and it's, it's kind of it fits in really well with what you're talking about with respect to marketing. Yeah, so the, the, the way I, I grew up was 
back, you know, not in the 60s, but in the late 70s, my parents who, uh, you know, they never referred to themselves as hippies. Uh, my dad read the book and he's like, I was a hippie. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you kind of, you know, fit into that kind of description. Right. Yeah. But they, they never thought of themselves like that. Uh, but they bought an apartment building together with uh, five other families. And so that's how I grew up, part of a, a bigger community. We all had our separate apartments, but then uh, there's a lot of, uh, common space that we used together. There was a lot of eating at each other's places and a lot of um, common decisions. That's what I remember as a, uh, clearly I was a child. So I was kind of just seeing what the adults were doing. And there was always these meetings and they had to like take notes of who was going to be responsible for what. And so this idea of, you know, fairness and equality and, and kind of yeah, common decisions and it's okay to be different. And all of these things were very much ingrained to me, like from an early age on. Mm. Well, and that experience has certainly has come into play now. You talk about ditching the shoulds. And I think that it feels almost wildly radical in a way, because I, like you, when I started my business, I felt, you know, I have to do it this way. This is what the experts say. I don't know what I'm doing. And so here's, I'm, I'm going to try it, but you, you actually, um, you actually, actually believe that if I simply don't want to is perfectly valid as a reason for not doing something. <laughs> yeah. I simply don't want to, or it just doesn't make me feel good when yeah. I do. And then right. that is the real reason because when we're sure. doing things that don't feel good, we're actually not in our zone of genius. And most of the time we're just getting mediocre results. And, and, and I think that's really, yeah, that's the reason. And, and, and it's also because besides people saying, I hate marketing, what I've noticed over the years working with clients is that there's so much overwhelm when it comes to yeah, marketing. It's true. Like uh, the gurus tell you that you have to be everywhere and that you have to, you know, create content constantly and and like it just feels like you're a slave to your business mm. and I think a lot of people actually feel that way they're like I'm constantly doing 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 that I I really don't enjoy my business anymore and I think that's kind of the 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 reset the revolution that I I would like to start if we are going to make a business a difference with our business then we need to actually enjoy the business that we're in, right? Yeah, I completely agree. It's so it so much ties in with what kind of life do you want to have, yeah. not just what kind of business do you want to have. Exactly. And, and there's opportunities for fun in marketing, which can seem like a radical idea. But um, talk a little bit about that, about what what. Uh, that's not something that most people associate with marketing, especially if you have an initial, oh, I don't want to reaction. Yeah, I think it really comes down to finding your marketing superpower. So finding that one thing that you really are good at naturally and that you enjoy doing. And so that starts with really figuring out who you are and every 
marketing I ever took never talked about, you know, who you are mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of this more deeper inner work, N- never seen it before. It's always like, you know, who's your tar- target audience? Who's your avatar? Describe, describe the client, uh, right. this, this idea of client focused marketing. I'm actually saying, you know, for, it, it's not like you're not going to do that. We're naturally doing that. We're naturally wanting to serve our clients. But what matters almost more is that you first pay attention to who you are and and so that you are actually also resonating with your ideal clients and not just kind of, you know, becoming this what I describe in in the book is this idea of that me starting to wear a mask so that I would fit in mm-hmm. uh, in order to fit to this uh, ideal client that I had, you know, described in my avatar. And so that's where the fun gets lost. It's like, well, it's not fun to work with clients who are not ideal for you. And so when you actually do find your marketing superpower, then it can really just be fun. And, and that is going to be different uh, again. And so probably most marketing stuff you see out there is going to tell you, you know, you got to absolutely do this and this is going to be great for you. Well, right. who says first you need to really figure out, well, what is actually fun to you? And that's different. For example, for me, I, I really enjoy these one-on-one conversations on either on my co- podcast on or on somebody else's podcast, where I absolutely do not enjoy having a, f- a free Facebook group where I need to engage constantly and put content and and put these quotes out there that uh, you know ask people the question of the day. That's just not something that I enjoy. Where other people you know, they might totally enjoy that and that makes them feel good. So it's really about finding what works for you. And that is then can be really fun. Mm. Yeah. And, and you talk as well about not taking yourself so seriously. And interestingly, you developed a lot of expertise in on LinkedIn, which you call the serious <laughs> network. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. It's all business all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, actually, it changed a bit uh, when the millennials came in. So a few years ago, there was kind of this move from the millennials coming over to LinkedIn and and they were probably looking at this network and they're like, what's up with these people? Why are they all (laughs) stiff and corporate? Mm -hmm. And so they're like, let's shake things a bit up. And then what happened is kind of the old LinkedIn users, they're like, whoa, what's going on? And there, there was like for a year or two, there kept being these posts. This is not Facebook. Well, why are you acting that way? Right. Um, and then slowly now it really transitioned into being kind of a, yeah, a, a platform where it's okay to share more personal things as well. Not necessarily like, um, you know, pictures from your vacations or anything like that, but, but more, uh, not only business related, but for example, right now, uh, mental health is a big topic. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of just opened up a bit, luckily, but, but yeah, don't take yourself so seriously. And, and, and I think again, that comes, that comes with confidence because at the beginning you just want to, you know, you want to succeed so badly. And so you're like, but this is, you know, serious. I, I every, every little, thing you take it very seriously where over time 
uh, you're realizing, well, actually, I can just take it a bit more lightly than, yeah. than I have. And it doesn't mean you're showing up like an amateur. You're still confident and competent and right. um, able to carry that, but you're showing your humanity by by having it be a little lighter. And I, I've seen that shift in Facebook and uh, sorry, in LinkedIn as well. And it's, it's a big relief to me. And it's part of what you talk about quite a bit, which is sharing your values and your worldview. There's more opportunity for that now, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and yeah. I really see the millennials kind of leading the way um, hmm. where they bring more of this purpose-based marketing into yeah. the conversation. Right. So, so that's what I mean by sharing values and sharing your, your worldview. Um, you know, the book was mainly written uh, about for entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. but I definitely see this, uh, you know, evolving into conversations with businesses as well. But right. uh, the perspective I came from was 12 years as an entrepreneur and working with entrepreneurs. And so that's who I wrote it for. And so the, uh, this, um, yeah, the, the idea of bringing more of you to your marketing, to your world, uh, of your worldview, to your marketing, that's really, I think, what what makes gentle marketing different because you're resonating at a different level with people. Yeah. Well, I, I really want to get more into that. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the supposed tos of marketing. There's been so much hype and advice about this is just just what you have to do. So you have to introduce fake urgency. You have to make people feel incomplete without your whatever widget. Yeah. Or there's a fear of missing out or everyone does it this way. And it's it's manipulation what it is what it is there's a knowledge of psychology there that marketers have used to be manipulative when you overuse it would you agree with that totally totally and and i i i think you know the human psychology aspect uh it, we're not just going to throw it out it it it's true and it, it's it's there uh, the thing is not to abuse it we can use it, but not abuse it. And mm-hmm. marketers have abused it. Uh, we have tricked people uh, because we know what we know about human psychology. For example, uh, the idea that if there's less of a certain thing, uh, you know, there's more urgency and people are going to quickly run and buy it. Right. So. And- and you and you say this that we've been trained to think that way, which I yeah. found very striking. I hadn't thought about it in that way. Yeah, we yeah exactly. We've been almost brainwashed into thinking that way exactly, and and so it it all depends on how you position it. You can either abuse it and really you know trick people, or you can still like let's take urgency right uh, you have an offer that is you know truly expiring because you're closing a group or 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 have a deadline well we're not just going to say well deadlines are all manipulation that's not true it just sure. depends how you make people feel about this deadline do you make them feel like they're losing out? And if they're not joining you, they're just going to be losers for the rest of their lives. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's part of what we see. That's what 
it makes people feel like? Yeah. Or do you just gently invite them and say, look, I'd love to have you. This is going on right now. And uh, if you if you're intrigued, please, let's get on a call. So it's all about the wording. It's about the how you explain it, not so much about the, the technique itself. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I've had marketers overtly use language like that. This is about 10 years ago and I, I don't see it really anymore, but I had them say, I had some of the marketing copy said, essentially, if you don't do this, you're a loser. And it was, it was not quite that overt, but the, the message was very strongly like, well, you're just going to, you're, you're just going to fail if you don't take this. And it was a huge red flag at the moment but I went ahead and bought it anyway, which I regretted yeah. right after that because energetically it just felt wrong. And, and yeah, and, and same here. I mean, the, the many times I fell for something like that because it gets us really, that's why it's based on human psychology. It gets yeah. us at this deeper level where we're like, I need this. This is going to solve my problem. Mm -hmm. And we come in, the problem with that is now as you know, from the side of the marketer. Problem with that is that we're getting people in who come from this scarcity energy. Mm. And so they come in and they're like completely freaked out. And they're most likely not going to get the results that we promised them because they're just completely overwhelmed and, they, and, and feel like, you know, I'm not actually smart enough to do this. And so it creates this hustle business that we don't actually have happy clients because we've manipulated them into buying it. And then, you know, it's, it's like this, yeah, it's, it's, it's this vicious circle that we have to keep hustling for more clients. Mm -hmm. And it's this quick buck kind of mentality where it's, yeah, it, it just doesn't create a sustainable business. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, too, that it really taps into a deeper vulnerability within mm -hmm. us because there's, also, there's one layer, one level of that, which is around, I want my business to be successful. I need this income in order to support my family or myself or, um, you know, I want to do more things and therefore I need more income in order to do that. But I think there's also for people who are more purpose-focused or impact-focused, as I talk about, um, those people have a bigger mission. I mean, we're really, and you do as well, I know from what I've read, that we have a bigger view of how we might contribute in the world. So there's, a, I think, another layer of vulnerability there that maybe um, gets tapped into when we're approached with those sorts of methods. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's just that it's, it's this longing for actually making an impact mm -hmm. that we're then confronted with what we think is the reality of business. And we're like, it's just not working for me. When I had this breakdown that luckily led through a, to a breakthrough, I was really thinking after 12 years in business, I'm like, I'm either going to quit because it's just not working for me anymore or that then slowly I'm like well I think I have to just bring a better way um, there is a need for for a, a better way to market our business mm -hmm. 
Well, one of the things you talk about, which I thought was really uh, a wise way to approach the whole area of marketing is to talk about our own definition of success. So a lot of the marketing hype, and especially from the gurus who show up in the perfectly coiffed, you know, expensive, uh, you know, hair and the expensive car and the, <laughs> you know, huge house and all that. I, I think it, it's, there's sort of a subliminal message that you should want this too. Mm-hmm. And that's not the definition of success for some people. Yeah. Some people don't even realize that that's not their definition of success. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the danger is, because just as we have been trained to think that, you know, marketing works a certain way, we've also been kind of fed this mainstream definition of success. And so even if we know deep inside, okay, our bigger mission is, you know, to make a difference and and an impact, we still might be subliminally thinking, well, you know, I I, I need a bigger business, for example, it's not necessarily the big car, but I need a bigger business, I need to, you know, touch more people, Um, I need to leave a legacy behind. So it's different words, maybe for impact um, driven people. But we are still kind of fed this idea that that's how we define success if we never actually sit down and think, well, what's success for me? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and being clear about that helps you have more confidence in deciding I'm going to do things a little out of the ordinary and, and be able to embrace other ideas. So true. Yeah, you, you, you become more free because you're like, I'm following my own path. It doesn't necessarily fit with everybody else. And I also admit that it's not easy because you keep getting reminded because you keep getting resistance from people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Well, I, I would love to dive more into um, um, the viewpoint about clients that with your general marketing approach is so different. I mean, we're so used to the create an avatar, find out what their demographics are, which drives me crazy. And then ta-da, you have this avatar that you can market to and all will be well. And you can't, I think so much marketing grinds to a halt because there's too much focus on tactics and not enough on clarity about who you're actually marketing to as the primary and first thing. Would you, mm. would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just got off the call, a call with a, with a client and, and she did my uh, ideal client kind of um, form. And she's like, I have never seen anything so detailed. It's, it's like literally five pages of questions oh, wow. about this ideal client. And it goes into, yeah, like little things like, you know, what kind of TV shows do they watch? Uh, are they shopping at Whole Foods or a Walmart or, mm-hmm. you know, all these little questions that really help us understand this this person that we want to serve and and I and it's true and what she reflected back to me made so much sense to me she's like you know I've been through many marketing programs before and 
oftentimes there's like four questions or five at the max for, for, for this ideal client. And then we rush on to the next thing. And it makes mm -hmm. so much sense that you're kind of, you know, teaching this slower way of marketing that we're spending like, you know, two hours on this ideal client. And, and I realized that that's true. Usually we just kind of tick off, you know, this thing, okay, we've done the ideal client. Yeah. Actually, most people who come to me, they're like, they're like, oh no, we don't need to do the ideal client. I, I know who that is. And, and, and it's because, yeah, we've been taught, okay, we need to know the demographics and off we go to the next thing. Yeah. Um, I think what's really interesting also is, is then doing the match. So first you look at actually the, my program starts with yourself, but then when you get to the ideal client, okay, you do that really in depth and then you compare the two, right? It's like, where is the intersection between you and your ideal client? Not all the time, it's exactly the same uh, right. person. Oftentimes it is though we are our most ideal client oftentimes. Well, and it's a question you asked was uh, just relating to what you just said of how are you different from your ideal client and how are you the same? And I think we focus a lot on how we're the same, but mm -hmm. really being conscious and clear about how we're different is really right. helpful too. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you talk about don't chase after clients. And I know there's been a lot of languaging around get clients versus attracting clients. Um, how, do you, how do you find clients if you're not kind of that metaphor of chasing after them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like that you bring up attracting too, um, because I played with that word as well. Um, but then there's these programs like the client attraction or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Right. Um, and, and that goes, that's not where I wanted to, to be either. So it's, mm. it, it's, it's not that, that we are just manifesting our ideal clients. We are really putting more of ourselves out there and again, if that's a business, if you're a business or you're a leader of a business, then that means mainly more of your worldview uh, uh, so that people can relate to you and your business at another level. If you are a service-based uh, entrepreneur, then yeah, it's more of your stories, more of your worldview. And that's when your ideal clients start to resonate with you. You're still going to address the main problem that you're solving. Um, it's not, you know, that that's still obviously the, the case, but so, so, so that they recognize that you can help them with them with that problem. But where the buying decision is so different when, when you're resonating with the ideal client is that they're making their buying decision with the right brain. So meaning it's more of a feeling decision mm -hmm. rather than a left brain. Uh, is this a good price? The, does this person has have the skills kind of decision? Right. So what that does, it makes the selling so much easier because there's almost no more selling. Like people uh, come to you because they resonate with you so much at a deeper level that 
they just want to know how you can work together right and 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 similar to to products so if you are a a B Corp or a, another organization, if you bring more of the worldview into your products, people are not so much more, uh, not so much making the decision, uh, you know, do I buy this cheaper product or this more expensive one? They're like, this more expensive product is aligned with my values. The company uh, is aligned with my values. They have the same worldview. They do good in the world. And I'm perfectly happy to pay a higher price for this product. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I really like the way you talked about this, that we've gone from this very transactional approach to letting people know about products where advertising used to just lay out a you know, very left brain argument about why you should buy. Here are the features and benefits with the expectation that people will make a thinking decision about it. Whereas Dan Pink, Mm -hmm. um, as as you said, talks about um, calling it an invitation to accept a worldview and an attitude. Actually, I can't remember, you may have said that, but Dan Pink has has talked about how our things have really shifted. And um, I thought you put that really well in in terms of um, asking people to uh, if are you interested in this way of looking at the world? Exactly. Yeah, they buy into you rather than just buying a product from you. Mm. So yeah, I, I yeah I can't remember the the quote, but um, yeah, Dan Pink has this beautiful quote where he basically is saying that we've transitioned into uh, empaths or or. Um, you know, meaning makers uh, rather right. than just uh, people who produce stuff and expect people to buy it from us. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and Seth Godin talks about this too, that uh, marketers speak to the people like us do things like this. And right. if you paint a picture of the world um, that someone resonates with, you're much more likely to complete a sale. Exactly. Yeah. Well, part of this aspect of bringing more of yourself into your marketing, uh, you say customer-centric marketing is overrated. I love that. That was very kind of a startling statement. And and you talk (laughs) a lot about storytelling. So tell us more about that. Yeah. And it really just comes back to what we discussed earlier, where I just felt like all everybody is telling us is to focus on our customer. And I did that for 10 years and the wrong kind of customers kept showing up. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And so that's why I was saying, you know, customer centric is just overrated because if you, all you're doing is focusing on your customer and you're not then having any fun and joy in your business because the wrong kind of people show up, then how is that a good business? And so this, yeah, this idea of starting with yourself and bringing more of you into your marketing, that's kind of a, yeah, a pushback to the customer-centric movement. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's a difference between using vulnerability to get um, empathy and a sale. There's a difference between that and just showing that you're human, that you share something with the client. Right, totally. Yeah. 
Well, um, in terms of storytelling, um, talk a little bit more about that and, and how storytelling comes into play in terms of, of bringing more of you into your marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it took the longest time to really understand storytelling. Uh, maybe also, again, because I, I kept thinking that I have to tell stories that you know, have to do with my client. And so I was like trying to come up with customer centric stories. But when I realized that I can actually tell stories about myself and, you know, my upbringing and my failures and my successes and all of that, that's when I really started to realize that that's where the resonating happens. And so it was like really this switch turned on I'm like oh okay I I don't need to you know come up with this yeah crazy story that I basically invent and then you know try to really uh, resonate with the with the customer but I'm just telling stories that actually happened to me and that's where the the resonance will will happen Mm -hmm. so it was a big aha moment for me, and you, you mentioned vulnerability before. Um, I think there, you know, vulnerability definitely plays a role in storytelling. Um, just like authenticity, though, the word authenticity, vulnerability kind of became this thing where <laughs> marketers realize that it's something that sells. Right. And so, again, they've unfortunately started to abuse it and just share all these kind of old stories that they thought would resonate with their clients. And so that's not what I mean. And, and, and there's also such a thing as too much vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I talk about uh, uh, this analogy with a pool so that you go in at the level that feels good and that you know, where you are with that in the journey with that client, you're not going to tell a, a completely new client your, you know, d- biggest fears and, and, and dreams or whatever. So, so it, it's, it, there's different levels of vulnerability. Yeah. Which is the deep end of the pool. You use the swimming pool analogy. Yeah. So, yeah. And the shallow end is kind of reserved more for people who are just learning about you and getting to know you a little bit. It's it's like any relationship. There's a deepening of understanding and willingness to share um, bigger issues as you move along. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, there's also um, an aspect of marketing that you talk about that is so unusual. I wanted to explore that a little bit, and that is beauty in marketing. Mm. Tell us what that means to you. Mm-hmm. When I thought about the the conscious client, because marketing is always two parties, right? It's us as the marketer, and then there's the client. And so as impact-driven people, we want conscious clients, not just actually, not just for us, but I think more and more we're going towards more consciousness. And so the the level of consciousness will keep increasing. And already, I think there is way more conscious clients, and they want different things than uh, 
what we still see in marketing. So it's almost like marketing hasn't caught up with the conscious mm -hmm. clients. Yeah. Like and I so see you, I've seen this tactic before. Tell me, tell me something I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you're still trying to trick me. Uh, right. I'm, I'm smarter than you are. Right. So, so yeah, exactly. And, and when I thought about this conscious clients, there, there's a few things that, that came up and one of them is beauty. I really think that the conscious client wants more beautiful things. They don't just want the, you know, the, the thing to work they want it to be beautiful. They don't just, it, it's again, the right brain that comes in. I think so more and more, we're, we're just going to be right brain thinkers. And so we really want to be presented beautiful offers, beautiful websites, beautiful, uh, you know, kind of these experiences that are more beautiful and not uh, left brain kind of techniques and, and steps and features <laughs> right yeah well and the and the purpose as you said is to create an experience a transcendent experience that right. um has that so people have an emotional response to what you're offering exactly yeah, yeah. And, and 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 that requires of us marketers way more creativity than ever before mm -hmm. before we could just create you know put up a, a white web web page and throw some <laughs> red you know like flashy letters on it and people would buy it that's just not working anymore so it really requires more creativity and again creativity is the right brain yeah yeah absolutely well i i on a more pra on a very practical level in terms of uh you know, getting down to things like pricing and, and upsell, downsell strategies and bump orders, things like that. There's um, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. One is we often have these three, you see those three tiered pricing offers and uh, the, the psychology is that people tend to go for the middle one and therefore some people overinflate the the middle offer with all kinds of fluff instead of making a, le a legitimate value-based offer talk a little bit about value and how you see that yeah value is again it, there's one way of the hypey marker thinking of value and that's the fluff right they're like let right. me just throw in a bunch of ebooks and yeah just kind of fill up the space so that it looks right. like a bigger offer um and then there's the client's perception of value and and oftentimes what's perceived from the marketer as value just is actually uh, equals to overwhelm on the other side mm -hmm. so more is not always more from the client's perspective because if it leads to overwhelm how is that going to get me any results? And so I think we need, some, we need to rethink uh, about this value and, and not equal value with more stuff. Just because mm -hmm. you give me access to more doesn't actually make me value it you know, higher. So it, it, it's that concept, again, that where uh, 
we've been trained to think that if we throw more in, mm -hmm. that creates more value, but it, it just leads to more anxiety. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's definitely not what we want. Yeah. Well, you see that too in those large-scale affiliate offers. I once I once yeah. stumbled on the website of uh, a major marketer who has a launch formula, and I stumbled on his affiliate site just by accident. And it was quite an eye-opener. And when I read it, I thought, well, of course, this is what is going on, but there's there's all kinds of behind the scene things in how you can plump up the offer by you offer your five things plus <laughs> I have my five things yeah. and people just feel mm. like, oh, wow, I'm getting tons of value. And <laughs> it may not even be things that they, they want or need at that no. point. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I'm kind of sad that I didn't put that in the book because that's such a good example. <laughs> I'm going to bring that up. Um, so true. Yeah. When you're part, like when you're an affiliate for another program, they're like, oh, you offer to it and you get more sales. And I'm thinking, why would I want this offer on top of the yeah. other thing? But yeah, that is, see, that's exactly one of these examples where we were made to believe that more is always more. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and when it comes to upsell and downsell strategies, it, yes, there's a strategy. Again, there's a thinking process behind it, and this logically will work. But it's so much more than that. When you have a, a strategy that you're implementing without any kind of heart to it, then um, I don't think it does as well as when you have a strong intention behind it of how this is going to help your client, your deep knowledge of who they are. Um, tell us more about, about how intention comes into play and in, when you're setting strategy. Yeah, it, I think it's, it's everything. It's like, is the intention only to make an extra 50 bucks when you put up an upsell yeah. or a bump? Or is the intention actually really well thought out and you're like, I'm, you know, selling this uh, course. And I think people would really benefit from having this uh, journal uh, so that they can take notes and, you know, kind of uh, ha help them prompt with some questions. Uh, yeah. What is the intention? Is the intention to help and provide value or is the intention, let me just make an extra 10 bucks so I can uh, pay for my Facebook ads. <laughs> That's the, the real question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of this kind of, we've circled around it a little bit and you've, you've touched on it several times about how business is changing and mm -hmm. how things are shifting over time. And there's, I, I believe there's, I see, uh, and maybe this is just my brain, my reticular, reticular, what is it? Articulating activating system, system. Activating system, the RAS, looking for what I want to look for. But I, I think business is shifting towards a more intentional um, communication, kind of mutual interaction approach, approach, as opposed to just all about profit. There's a purpose aspect as well as becoming increasingly important. Yeah. Do you see that? I see it too. Uh, and at the same time, yes, I think we're you know, resonating at the same frequency. And so we're yeah. 
starting to see more and more of these things. But but let's be honest, 10 years ago, we didn't see any of that. So it, it's definitely mm -hmm. changing. And I think the speed of which it's changing will continue to increase. So so no, there there is definitely a movement towards more, uh, yeah, more, more act making a difference and really taking this this crisis that we're in seriously and and saying you know business can be used also to make a difference it doesn't just have to be this capitalistic thing that we're uh, all slaves to mm -hmm. do you think the pandemic has facilitated that i think it has sped it up i do uh, i do believe so yeah mm. yeah it's been so interesting to see I think people are so missing connection. Yeah. And uh, so I, yeah, I, I've noticed some things like that too. Well, my, my last question before you, uh, before we go into the rapid round is um, you put a, a kind of a, a warning at the end of your book about the transition to gentle marketing can be slow. And that's been your experience as well in terms of, of uh, the income that comes into your business. I, that surprised me. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I think it's a, a, a gentle warning for, for people that comes from a place of empathy, meaning that I don't mean for people to just throw everything out that they've been using in the past if they have been you know using techniques that maybe didn't feel so good and now they're like okay I'm gonna just change everything in a way what I noticed with my business is that if you have built a business that maybe has uh, attracted the wrong kind of people well that's now Th those are now those are now the people who are on your email list, they're in your network, and so those are not the first ones who are going to be open to this different way of doing business. Sure, and so that's why it takes some patience to to say, yeah, that's okay. I'm still gonna you know slowly implement this new way of of running a business and doing marketing. That doesn't mean I'm going to throw everything out and, and, you know, I still need to pay my bills. And so that's why it's a slow transition because you're essentially almost, you know, trying to create a new audience for what you want to put out there. And, and so there will be maybe some resistance from people in your network and they're going to be like, well, you know, that, that, that doesn't resonate with me. Why are you all of a sudden going like telling me all these deep kind of stories <laughs> and, and sharing your values. So yeah, that's why I'm saying be, be patient with yourself and, um, and just realize that slow marketing, it's not, it's not that, hustle type and, and it just takes a, a bit of transition uh is there's a transition phase to to get into the new um way of being mm -hmm. well and, and you're you said um that you're creating a new audience and that takes time yeah exactly you, even you build new relationships yeah mm -hmm. and even if it's some of the same people they're they may not be used to seeing you you presenting in that way so it's 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of subtle things that go on in the background where some people sense that this is uh, behind your efforts, uh, but they maybe you haven't overtly enacted it, but now's a chance to bring more of that out. Yeah. Um, that Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It, it's just, it's so almost, it's like almost unexpected mm -hmm. that people are, don't know how to react. Right. Like I remember uh, that was even before the pandemic hit. I said, well, I'm done with webinars that I'm not going to do webinars anymore. We're just going to all come together into a zoom call and have a conversation. And, and it was just so new to people that they were going to be in the conversation. And that's one of the things I, I talk about in gentle marketing as well is this inclusion, but they were so used to being excluded and just me showing up as the guru that not everybody was comfortable being in the conversation. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, that it takes time to adapt to, to a different way of uh, being and, and doing things in, in marketing and, and just running your business. Yeah. I mean, there's a very passive way in which webinars as they used to be done, where you just exactly. kind of sit there as the audience yeah. and you're checking your email at the same time and you're, yeah. you know, um, it's really uh, much more active to ask people to become involved. And that's, yeah, it's a bit, a bit of an adaptation for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> the first one is, what's the biggest thing that you've learned about having impact? You know, what comes to mind is that impact, when you think about the word impact, I realize that it's not actually the the, the, the I don't like the definition so much because I think of it as like a, a thing, like a, a meteor that falls onto the, right. the, the earth and it just creates one big hole right. where the idea of making a difference that hmm. speaks to me much yeah. more. Yeah, so please use that language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the second question is, what's the one thing that you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most or your making a difference and impact mm -hmm. and success the most. Yeah. I think it's really the showing up with consistency, honesty, uh, vulnerability, and just telling the truth. I think I've, even if I've used some of these marketing strategies that now in hindsight don't feel so good, I've still shown up with the truth and honesty. And I think that's, what um yeah that, that's what got me to where i am today yeah yeah that's great and and just to clarify when i talk about impact i don't mean anything percussive or no or harsh know. it's it's about how can you bring your full self to your business at the same time that you're contributing that you're making a difference in some way so 
Um, but yeah, not everybody uses that that word in the same it's way. It's funny so. because I have the same thing with with my uh, uh, mandala with the seven Ps. I chose the word personal power, hmm. and then someone reflected uh, to me is like, well, power is kind of a strong word. Hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true. It's not it's not about you know power over someone. I right. I saw it more as internal kind of power and so yeah we choose these words and and, and that, yeah they just have the meaning that we give them right yeah and everyone's going to respond in a different way i mean i think exactly. for for women in particular the word power has it's very contentious because exactly. we associate right. it with well i don't want that yeah. but we actually do but not power over yeah power with in collaboration or um, in in ways that you can really influence things and bring about positive change. Yeah, and that also reminds me of the the definition gentle, right? Hmm. People ask me, well, what does that mean, gentle, in the business context? Does that mean too nice or too kind or polite? Right. I'm like, you know, we can be gentle and fierce, and does right. one doesn't exclude the other? So it it's not that because we're being gentle that we're being pushovers. So right. yeah, it's just interesting, this conversation around words, right? Yeah. No, I love what you just said. We can be gentle and fierce at the same time. That's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Well, the last question is, what's one insight or piece of advice you'd share with another entrepreneur who's asking, how can I make a difference? How can I be out there in the world more having impact? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really think people need more of you so whatever Mm. your stories are i think we've been that's another thing we've been told that our stories don't matter that it's only that we only you know should be interested in the client and i think that's wrong i think our clients don't necessarily want the stories of how much money you made and which university you went to and all these accolades that you have those are boring stories Uh, But I think they do want to hear more of you and your stories. And and so I think, um, yeah, really dare to show up and be different. And that's how you you make a difference. And and I'm also not a big fan of thinking, oh, we have to make an impact. You know, we need to impact a million people's lives. I, I think just if you you know, make a difference in one person's life already. That's, that's huge. Yes, absolutely. I agree. I was so touched when you said, it just felt very moving to me in the moment when you said people need more of you. And Mm. I, I think sometimes people feel like they have to hide behind a mask in business and, you know, so much better for everyone. We can come out from behind the mask and really bring ourselves fully into it. And, and the client can then do the same. It's a modeling something for people too. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. It's like really just uh, taking off the masks and showing up as real human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your perspective on how marketing can shift and become not something that we dread, but something that we can really work with, express ourselves as a way of connecting with others, just as you would in any kind of relationship that you want to deepen. So thank you so much for being here and for bringing all of that to us. 
I loved every part of it. Thanks for having me, Arsula. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they reach you and how can they buy your book? Yeah, thank you for asking. So the the main website is sarahsantacroce.com. And uh, I have a one-page marketing plan that they can download uh, at sarasnacroce.com forward slash one page, the number one and then page. And that's the seven Ps in the shape of a mandala because the mandala is a creative process. And if we go through the different parts of the mandala, we come to our center. And if we come to our center, then we can really market from within. So that's that. And then the book is uh, uh, going to be available on Amazon starting February 17th. And uh, people can go also over to Sarah's and no, sorry, that gentle marketing revolution.com forward slash book. And there's a link there to buy it and a whole bunch of resources as well. Wonderful. Yeah, you've, you've got a lot of resources that are available to people so they can work through some aspects of what you talk about in the book. So That's right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being here and for the work you're doing in the world. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a delight. Thanks for listening. Join me for more episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and help us spread the word. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. To discover more about your impact, schedule a business impact assessment one-on-one with me, 60 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Go to workalchemy.com slash BIA to schedule your business impact assessment. This podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Tuscarora, Catawba, and Waccamaw Siouan people. 